Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit CEATECHN.com to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco innovations that are changing your world. According to the International Council of Museums, a museum is a not-for-profit, permitted institution in the service of society that researches, collects, conserves, interprets, and exhibits tangible and intangible heritage. Open to the public, accessible and inclusive, museums foster diversity and sustainability. Well, there's a new museum in town, Chicago's Climate Action Museum. And here to tell us more is Doug Farr, Secretary of the Climate Action Museum. Doug, welcome back to GreenSense. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about the museum. Well, it's been a while and it's nice to see you're off and doing new things. You and your company have been a fixture in Chicago when it comes to green buildings and sustainability. You're a nationally recognized architect, urbanist, and author. Far Associates is a sustainably driven architecture and urban design firm that plans and designs lovable and aspirational buildings and places around the world. So when we last had you on the show about eight years ago, uh, we talked about green buildings and LEED designation. It's amazing how LEED uh, buildings seem so much like old news in just eight short years. <laughs> well, well, they are. So uh, first of all, you're being very gracious. I think we spoke more than eight years ago, uh, but but onto the topic of LEED. So, you know, LEED was really invented in the 19th century. It was, or excuse me, 20th century, not the 19th century. 20, that would make you're it really- dating old. LEED. <laughs> 20th century. The term, you know, was coined in 1996 and it was launched in 1999. And so um, our practice has embraced lead for 20 years, um, but thanked it for its service and moved on in 2019. So I hope we can talk about that during the call. So Doug, give us some context to your experience. Uh, tell our listeners about a favorite pioneering sustainability project you're working on or you've completed yeah. at Farn Associates. You bet. So we just have, you know, 20, 22 years, 23 years of pioneering sustainability. And I, it's hard to do you love all your children? Yes, I love all my children. Do you have a favorite? I'd rather not say so if I did, but the one I'll choose to talk about today is an exceptional project that's under construction and opening this fall. It's called the Academy for Global Citizenship, and it is a K through eight um, CPS charter school opening on the Southwest side. It will achieve, it'll be the first building in the region uh, the Chicago region, the state of Illinois, and hereabouts to achieve the something called the Living Building Challenge, which is the world beyond LEED. If you thought LEED was difficult, uh, talk to me, because Living Building Challenge is, is designed to be all but impossible. And there's only, I think, 30 buildings in the world that have achieved this certification. So it's really quite demanding. But, but aside, setting aside for a moment the Green Building Certification, the thing that inspires me and should inspire your listeners is that it's a school, a public school, that really has embraced sustainability and embedded it at the core of their curriculum. And um, a, a lovely curriculum it is. And the the building and the grounds that our team has designed uh, and is being built by Power, power Construction uh, will be just an exemplary model of an urban uh, farm school, if you can believe that. So it's a, the building sits on a six acre site, 
two-story building. Um, uh, the goal is to have kids spend three hours a day outdoors. So uh, we really want to push kids at every turn to be go out in the grounds, go out in the farm, go out uh, and play, go out and interpret nature, those kinds of things. And so it's got the right balance of indoor, outdoor, physical activity, and so on. Uh, and then the building itself will be net zero. And uh, meaning on an annual basis, it will uh, no cost nothing to operate. So, but we're trying to push it one more time, one one more level, which is kind of what makes this the favorite project I wanted to talk about today is we're, we're seeing if we can do this, but we're going to try and see if we can take the building off grid from time to time as a learning experience. So for example, imagine a Monday morning you come in, kids get oriented and say, okay, kids, we're going off the grid and we're going to run the school just off the solar panels and all the monitors that are on the walls that you notice every day now mean something because if we use too much energy, the school will just, you know, not, it'll run out of energy and will, you know, things will not uh, work anymore. So it will be that sort of classic learning experience of learning by doing and seeing sort of where your energy, uh, energy is used, things like that. So that's not necessarily legal yet. It's not necessarily designed in yet, um, but is the the ultimate learning experience of learning that we all have constraints on our resources uh, and to get creative about it. And so um, I'm really excited about that. And then the- Wow, the school, so much more yeah. fun than a fire drill. <laughs> well, yeah, right, right. Or, or exams or anything like that. So, uh, but anyway, it's a beautiful aspirational project and uh, just you know a great team that's pulling it together and great leadership behind the school. So I'm- Well, I'll most, tell you what, when that opens, we'll have to have you back on the show and maybe get into more of the details and just focus the show on that because it sounds uh, wonderful. Um, since we last met, we build urban farms, greenhouses, and vertical farms and have a number of projects uh, around the area so we can uh, compare some notes. But let's, notes. let's get on to the Climate Action Museum. It's going to have its grand opening on the summer solstice on June 21st. That's and before right. we get into the festivities that'll happen on that day, let's answer the question why. As I read in the intro, most uh, museums have exhibits about the past. Climate change is a present issue. We even have a group of flat earthers that don't believe in climate change exists, <laughs> right? So, so let's get into it. Why has the museum been, been created? Yeah, so uh, the museum, we're doing everything sort of in reverse order. So uh, we started out with a collection and uh, the story started uh, last year at the Chicago Architecture Center. There was an exhibit called The Energy Revolution that I had the pleasure of being the uh, subject matter expert and co-curator of. It closed in January and uh, we hadn't planned very well. And so the whole thing was headed for landfill, the entire exhibit. And that seemed crazy to me to take a energy or sustainable exhibit and then junk it. So so we went on a search to see if, if one of the uh, good sides of a very bad thing, COVID, was that there was a lot of retail space in downtown Chicago that was vacant and not likely to get tenants anytime soon. So we put out a call to see if there were any buildings that would offer us free space to pop up a museum for a year. And so 300 South Riverside Plaza, which is a building immediately south of Union Station on the west bank of the Chicago River, offered us uh, several thousand square foot space in their lobby. And so the Climate Action Museum is taking shape there, op opens, as you said, on the summer solstice, and we're there for at least a year. So that's how it happened. But in terms of the museum, like, is it a repository for ancient dusty things? And, you know, what is a climate museum and then a climate action museum? Uh, th there's a story there too. Um, 
we in trying to avoid the landfill i started shopping the the content that we have to people could you store it could you keep it out of the landfill and people were polite yeah i'll store it but for how long and why and it it sort of dawned on me partway through it's like hmm you know it, this is this project has no ambition and so we, it became a museum like well we're starting a museum oh well, if that's what you do, and I'm suddenly very interested in starting a museum. So, um, but then the idea of a climate museum, uh, we convened a group of uh, what we call the kind of co-founders, and we've been meeting for several months now. First meeting, I set up and said, hey, we're going to do this thing called the Chicago Climate Museum. They said, I don't think so. We don't like the name because it sounds like a dusty place we would never go. <laughs> and so uh, somebody said, Alicia Ponce, in fact, said the word action has to be in the title. And then so we deb debated when you have a static word museum, which means a repository for old dusty things, and the word action, which is the absolute opposite of that. When they're both in a phrase together, do they cancel each other out? Does one modify the other? And then somebody in the meeting said, you know, there's Doug, there's a museum for chocolate. There's a museum for mustard. There's a museum for potato chips. It's just a term of a place that wants you to come there. And so that, when I heard that, it's like, ha, huh, we want people to come there. We had considered Climate Action Institute or laboratory or so on. Those are not public spaces that you feel like you're invited to, but everyone expects to be able to come to a, a museum and they will here. And the museum will be free. It'll be open Monday through Friday, 10 to six and Saturday, 10 to two. Um, it's pretty dreamy. So ask me some more questions. I can't wait so to talk. What's the, what's the vision of the museum? The vision is that um, most of us have not had um, ever a talk amongst uh in a public setting about climate so as i mentioned last year the energy revolution i was the curator and i gave probably 40 different one-hour curator talks and that was it's so insightful so leading groups of say as small as eight and as large as 35 or 40 through the exhibit for an hour leading them through sort of here's this question here's this challenge here's this invention here's this insight and i had people wrapped r-a-p-t wrapped could not you know had to listen we're not shuffling their feet we're not clearing their throats they were in it they were engaged and uh, I'll just say for most of those people, my my belief is that that was the first time they had ever really had a deep immersion in what our situation was, what we might, what actions we might be able to take about it. And so um, compare that kind of immersive in-person experience where other people around you are learning with you to getting an email and say, you know, please write your congressperson about, you know, climate. It's a very passive uh passive activity that doesn't necessarily engage the heart, soul, and mind. And so that in-person visit was the kind of thing we want to recreate over and over. So, so that's it. So we're, we're not, we're not online. We're not going to be virtual. It's just going to be come and be with us in this space and have this exhibit with other people. And so um, we will, we're organizing a core of uh, curator, or maybe, uh, what do they call the uh, tour guides? Um, Docents? Docents, thank you, docents, uh, that were working with the Chicago Architecture Center, in fact, to uh, see if some of their docents wouldn't like to learn one more chapter of expertise on climate and come over and, and guide guide tours. But our, our theory of change is this, that um, the most impactful way to engage people on climate is in person, is not reading email or touching screens. Number two, it is to go through a journey of discovery, um, 
there's some bad news, you know, geez, goodness, we wish we were doing better, but we haven't failed. In fact, we embrace a very sort of uh, deep-seated optimism about the actions we can take and that really we haven't started yet. And so part of the vision of the museum is laying out what the future is we aspire to, and then the paths to get there, and then the steps each individual or organization or family uh, can take to, to advance the cause collectively. And so it's a very optimistic uh, enterprise. So we can't wait to have everybody listening today to come, come check us out. So the vision is action and getting people to interact uh, in person. Uh, so that makes it pretty unique because Chicago's filled with world-class museums from Museum of Science and Industry to the Shedd Aquarium to the Adler yeah. Planetarium to the Field Museum. So that that's uh, pretty nice. Is there another museum like this in the country or is this the first? There are this. We will be the seventh museum devoted oh, to wow. climate in the world. And so there's uh, the other one in, in uh, the U.S. is in in New York. Uh, it was the it's called the climatemuseum.org and you check it out. They had a storefront presence um, through last winter and through, I think just a month or so ago, it closed. So it was only ever a pop-up. The other, there are three in Europe, one in Asia and one in South America. And so we'll be the seventh. And um, so what's exciting about this project and all the folks that we've had that are just showing up and being so generous with their talents, with their resources and so on to make this happen is what's exciting to me is there's no precedent. There's no Oh, we just go here and do what they did or, you know, copy this person. We really very much are kind of um, piecing it together from our experience, um, from the, you know, personal, my personal experience last year, uh, guiding people through the energy revolution. And then we have an active committee of about 80 people that have shown up to our, not all at one time, please, uh, but probably we have 20 or 25 people at each of our meetings. And uh, it's been the most stimulating, intelligent conversation to shape this message of, you know, how do you engage people, acknowledge that they come with concern and trepidation that climate isn't going well, but not to turn that concern into defeatism or inaction, but to sort of channel that and say, you know, hold, hold off, you know, there's all this good stuff we can be doing. It's not, and we're not doing it just for climate benefits. There's economic and health benefits and, and all those kinds of things. So we're, we're excited to launch that. Um, yeah. What kind of exhibits will visitors experience and what do you intend them to walk away with? Thank you. So um, the, the entry will be sort of a welcome. You've never been in a climate museum before. We're almost certain of that. So a kind of orientation to what that means. Um, we want to offer people what we're calling a journey of discovery in and the, and the space is tiny. It's, it's under 2,500 square feet, but it organizes itself into about five rooms. And if you were to sort of read and study everything there, I would give it an hour. You know, maybe it's a half hour if you're a fast reader. Uh, but the goal is to give you the insight of seeing um, lots of things through a climate lens. And those lots of things include um, how we organize our lives, how we how our region is laid out, where we live how we get around. So those are two big uh, key uh, elements of climate because you, in the United States, um, vehicle, vehicle, you know, driving vehicles getting around is the single largest source of, of fossil fuel uh, 
burning, you know, basically burning gasoline and diesel for cars and trucks. And so we've organized our lives to seem to need a lot of that. And so that's the first thing, like, where do you live? Could you live at a, in a more local way, local war way, uh, and, and the kind of considerations of that. So localness, uh, places and so on. So that's the first bucket. The second bucket is buildings. And so in Chicago, because we are so such an efficient city in terms of mobility, we have good transit, the trips we all take are shorter trips. So it flips and within the city limits, the biggest contributor to greenhouse gases is buildings. So we have a big section on buildings and this often surprising insights about what buildings you would think would be more or less energy efficient. Uh, and you know, one bombshell I'll share with your listeners, we did a longitudinal study of, of all of the large commercial buildings in Chicago and found out the most energy efficient buildings in Chicago today were built in the 1880s. The Monadoc the, building. Right? Uh, Monadnock <laughs> building is being right. one of them, right. And then and then the least energy efficient buildings were the mid-century glass boxes by Mies van der Rohe, <laughs> Charles Murphy, and so on from the 1950s. Terrible, environmentally terrible buildings, architecturally distinguished, terrible buildings. So, so like who knew that, right? Um, and so there's a lot of insights. Then we have demonstrations about if you have a home or a building that you'd like to improve its energy use, how you do that. Um, we'll have a whole section of, of basically devices and appliances. If you want to electrify your building, that is to say, stop burning fossil fuels altogether. There's We have what we call the electric twins, a, a, space, uh, a space heater, a heat pump, a hot water heater, a, an induction cooktop, a condensing clothes dryer that are you know, state-of-the-art technology that do all the things that burning fossil fuels does, uh, but do so electrically and very efficiently. So you know, introducing those technologies to people. Uh, and then we're going to have a section on sort of lifestyle and choices. So what you eat is actually kind of a big contributor to climate and beef probably. Yeah, I was just going to say farming, which we're involved with, is the biggest producer of greenhouse gases, consumer of water and energy. There you go. So, you know, maybe you should be helping on the museum, but, but anyway, we will have that conversation about, you know, teach people across the spectrum of this, this food source is especially impactful, this one less so. Um, clothing is another one, which is there's a push towards, you know, this fast fashion and fast clothing. And so uh, we'll be making some points in favor of um, having clothes that last a long time, buying used rather than new, um, all those kinds of things, uh, and making it stylish and, and, you know, frankly, appealing and sexy. We want, uh, you know, the, the balancing act that I think we have in the museum is there's sort of two pathways. One is to suggest to people that there's a simpler way of living, that it has a lot less muss and fuss and a lot less consumption, um, less, less travel, less stuff, uh, that it that tends to lead towards a happier life. And then the, there's the other, other sort of thread or pathway, whatever, which is to say, no, you, you shouldn't change anything or you don't have to change anything about how you live now. You can simply substitute better technology. So rather than driving less, just get an electric vehicle rather than mm. a gas vehicle, or rather than cooking with a gas cooktop, swap it for an induction cooktop, those kinds of things. And so we will uh, embrace both of those pathways. And some people like one, oh, I'd love a simpler life. Some people say, oh, please don't make my life simpler. I want all the conveniences I have now. But but if if your new technology 
you know, allows me to do it without burning fossil fuels, I'm in on that. So uh, we're not, you know, you don't have to be one or the other. We're going to teach both. And then I haven't gotten to the best part yet. So the, um, at the, just before the, la the last room is what we're calling the action room. And so there will be a wall of sort of pledge opportunities to sort of say, uh, based on what you have, uh, uh, kind of your sphere of influence, what you have agency over, what you have control over. Like if you're a homeowner, you can make changes to your house. You know, if you own a car, you can choose a different car. If you're a chef you, or a cook, you can cook differently, all these kinds of things. So we'll have these lists. If you're a chef, here's the things you can do, a homeowner. Here's the thing. If you're a renter, if you're a kid, if you're a governor, if you're a mayor, mm. If you're a climate denier, if you're a nihilist, if you're whatever, we're going to have all these things on the wall with to-do lists. And what we're asking people to do is read the list, write down anything that strikes their fancy, and then sort of lodge it with us. Tell us what you've just committed yourself to do and record it. And then, and then, uh, and then the big promise for everybody is bring three friends. If you come through and you got something out of it, our oath, our desire, our covenant with you is bring back three friends to have the same experience. And you can lead them through or you can join one of our tours and so on. So, um, so anyway, very exciting. So a couple of things, uh, uh, science. Do you go through the science of climate change, externalities, uh, geologic cycle, industrial period, planet warming? Do you talk about why this is happening? So oddly enough, not much. And so part of it is where you know if you if people want to know what the disastrous impacts of climate are i will just say the, the news cycle has caught up with us and i think you can actually now read the paper or read a magazine and get pretty good information about what disasters might befall us we are choosing to use our very uh, scarce uh time and uh, and space with people to focus on the action that you can take. So if you, if you, yeah, if you haven't been paying attention that there's a problem and it's quite catastrophic, well then exit the museum, go read the paper for an hour and come back. And then we're ready for you, uh, ready for you at that point. So that would be a suggestion is maybe having something on there just on science, not to educate these different uh, factors. Also, we had Rao Kaudamarthi from Argonne National Labs on okay. a climate modeler. Yeah. And I think it'd be interesting to have people understand about climate modeling, how they're predicting all this, you know, where the degree of accuracy is and where some of the challenges are. But uh, sounds like a wonderful place. We're <laughs> almost out of time here. So I want to ask one quick question is sure. uh, tell us about what you've got planned for the grand opening festivities and why people should be there on that day. Well, so first of all, this longest day of the year. So um, what I hope will turn into the longest party of the year. Um, so it starts at 5.30, goes till uh, sunset, which is 8.39, I think. Um, and uh, so what we've got is the unveiling of the galleries and the first ever you know, tours through it, number one. Number two, we're going to be announcing a number of partnerships and initiatives with um lots of different groups they're all in negotiation so i don't want to you know uh weird weird the opening i want to surprise everybody but um you know trying to one thing i haven't mentioned is we're going to try and get uh over the course of five years 10 percent of chicago's population through the museum so that's basically fifty thousand people a year quarter million people in five years and so to do that we need a lot of partnerships and we need a lot of support so cps 
all the industries, you know, realtors, architects, developers, uh, families, block clubs, church groups, temples, mosques, uh, whoever you are, we want you to come through. And so um, the partnerships to realize that will be announced in 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 uh, starting forum on opening night. And then just honestly, just a lot of gratitude because we did this on, uh, it's like, I'm not even sure we have a shoestring, but we're doing it on a shoestring. The first several months uh, went on our office uh, business credit cards. We just like a classic startup, how do you pay for it? Credit cards. So um, we are seeking, of course, leadership support and donations. And so if listeners are interested in that, you know, track us down. Um, but that night we'll also be thanking all of the people. So power construction, us, uh, 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 Pepper Construction is in the space this week, building stuff. We had a partnership with the Revolution Workshop that's a job training center on the West, part, built some of our stuff. Um, so Skender Construction, no, it's not Skender, Leopardo Construction donated materials. And so it's just been generosity after generosity that have gotten us to this point, not, in, not the least of which is the building 300 South Riverside Plaza that gave us the space for free. Um, and that's worth, you know, that's a six figure gift there. So, so we are proceeding on faith that the resources will be abundant and they will come to us if our vision and passion is clear. And I think it is, and I'm really excited for people to see it and give us feedback and, and, uh, and make some change. Well, we look forward to joining you at the grand opening and congratulations on all you do to promote a more sustainable world. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's Doug Farr, founder of the architectural firm Farr & Associates and secretary of the Climate Action Museum established to activate a tipping point on climate mitigation in the Chicago region. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to Green Sense and check out the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 FM WBBM Chicago. And visit the greensenseshow.com website to learn more about sponsorship. GreenSense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit ceatechn.com to learn more.